1: Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet, with Reverend Anna Schaus, PhD, from Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington. Now, here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus.
0: Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host. Thank you for joining us today. I'm very glad that you're here, glad that you're listening to us here on Spirit of Recovery. And it's uh, always great to know that you're out there and know that you are shining that light that is who you are. Thank you so much also for liking Spirit of Recovery on Facebook. You can go on our Facebook page. Thank you for posting on there, and thank you also for your emails. I love getting those in hearing what's happening for you in your life, in your recovery walk, and in your spiritual growth. So thank you so much for keeping in touch and for participating. I want you to know that, um, every week, of course, as you already know, we do talk about topics that are important to the recovery community. We have guests here who are down to earth, who are knowledgeable and innovative, people who are either in recovery themselves or who work with or write for recovering people. And we're always bringing you practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking. You can listen to Spirit of Recovery in a variety of ways, of course. You can listen live online through your computer or through your smart device, and you can listen on-demand to our archives. Our archives are fabulous. We've got just uh, several years' worth now of wonderful guests and topics, and so you can go to unityonlineradio.org slash program slash recovery and uh, find all kinds of great topics and great guests on there. The spirit of recovery is a welcoming place, and so if you're a person that's in recovery from any kind of an addiction, Or if you're the family member of a person that has the disease of addiction and you're in your own recovery as a family member, or perhaps you're the friend uh, of somebody that's got the disease of addiction, and whether or not you or they are in recovery, you're welcome here. Or maybe you're just curious about the process of recovery, and we're just glad to have you listening with us here on Spirit of Recovery. And anybody is welcome to give us a comment, to uh, have a question for our guests, you can either call in to the studio number, or you can email us, and we'll be happy to respond to that. We are glad to have you listening and participating with us. Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a Unity minister, and I'm also an addictions counselor. I'm also a person that's got my own circle of love and friendship. Many people that do have the disease of addiction, and over 30 years ago, those relationships got me engaged in an active path of personal growth, spiritual development, and an engagement with the principles of recovery. And so since then, my walk is one that integrates those spiritual principles from those different aspects, from unity and from the recovery principles. And that sure keeps transforming my life and keeps me growing and uh, keeps me uh, finding more and more about my relationship with my higher power. So I am just delighted, I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to be able to share these ideas about recovery, about spirituality with you, and to bring you wonderful guests and stimulating topics. Today our topic is The Power of the Anonymous People. There are over 23 million Americans that are living in long-term recovery from the disease of addiction, and that is a powerful, positive, spiritual, social, and economic impact. It has a great, um, wonderful effect on families, on communities, on the workplace, even on our economy. So today we're going to be talking with a man who uh, got pretty excited about those facts and about all the the uh, rich human stories that are behind those, he got so excited about it, in fact, that he decided to make a documentary film, which is just uh, being very well received. That film is called The Anonymous People, and to date, and maybe there are even more now, but in early October, 20,000 people had already seen it, and it just came out in the middle of this September of 2013. My guest is the director and the producer of the film, Greg Williams, Greg is a person who is in long-term recovery. He uh, entered recovery when he was 17 years old, and he is now 30. So he's been in long-term recovery for a number of years, and he has certainly experienced um, all that the uh, problems of addiction can bring, and he's certainly experienced all the blessings that recovery brings, and he's actively engaged with that. He's got a master's in public policy from New York University, and he is very interested in the political process and in engaging communities, engaging the society in creating policy that really works for people in a lot of ways. Greg has made several short documentary films, but the Anonymous People is his first feature film, and. Uh, it's It's just amazing what's happening with it. He's going to be sharing with us today about what motivated him to make this, about um, the ideas behind it and in it, and uh, what's uh, what's already happening in the response. I was able to see it about uh, in the middle of September at a recovery summit for Recovery Month um, in Seattle, Washington. And it was astonishing, and I can tell you that every person in that audience was crying uh, because it is so moving. It's tears of joy, T- tears of joy. So Greg, thank you so much for joining us here today on Spirit of Recovery.
2: Well, thank you for having me and, and thank you for that that warm introduction. It's uh, certainly uh, special to hear uh, first-person accounts of, of people watching people watch the film. So certainly a special thing for me to hear. Good,
0: good. I'm glad. Well, um, I know that the the anonymous people, obviously, this film, this whole idea, this whole concept, is something that's uh, very dear to your heart, and you've put so much uh, work into it. So, what got you going on this, and, and when did you start?
2: Uh, well, you know, as you said, I, I'm a per- I'm a person in long term recovery myself, and um, for me, that means I haven't used alcohol or other drugs since seventeen. And what? happened through that process as, as I met, you know, some of the 23 million Americans in long-term recovery uh, who I didn't know about before uh, my addiction, you know, in my active addiction, I didn't know that there were people in recovery. And once I got introduced to these people, they opened my eyes to spirituality, to um, being who I was meant to be, probably, or, or who I didn't know I wanted to be. Uh, purposeful life, um, all these things that happened that, you know, my family and, and uh, recovery just gave back to me in a lot of different ways. And one of the reasons that, um, you know, I got so excited about recovery was, was just the miracles that were happening in other people's lives as a result of recovery. People who, um, were near death and, and, you know, go on to be very successful and, uh, go to college I was very engaged with young people in recovery and um and so through that journey I just you know it was it was sort of a story that was too good not to tell um but I I didn't know why those stories sort of hadn't generated or or hadn't um permeated the general public and and it sort of was a long investigation of figuring out why uh stories like mine hadn't um the general public might not know about people in recovery or they know people in recovery but they don't know they're in recovery and -hmm. sort of navigating that piece around anonymity, shame, discrimination um, and all of the things that that I think we'll talk about a little bit more. But um, that's sort of the investigation of the film and and trying to unpeel the onion of of why most people don't know people in recovery.
0: That's fascinating. So how did you go about uh, investigating that? Did you ask people in recovery or ask other people, and what did you find out, and how how did you do that?
2: Yeah, well, you know, it kind of stemmed a little bit from my own story, where um, for the first five years of my recovery, I didn't tell anybody outside of recovery circles that I was in recovery myself, and I would go to my work, and I would go to school, and I would just, oh, I don't drink, and and I don't use drugs, you know, and, and... I would make up stories, but I wouldn't necessarily, you know, tell people I had the disease of addiction or that I'm in long-term recovery, um, you know. And I don't know if that was confusion around uh, anonymity or, or you know, my own personal shame around that status, um, or my fear of of discrimination, which which is real. And so there's a couple factors in my own life that kept me quiet about my recovery, and and then I started to. Um, you know, get a little upset at how we deal with addiction. And, and I started to look at some of the advocacy organizations that were doing work on this. And one of the organizations I was able to find was Faces and Voices of Recovery. And and they really unlocked uh, a key for me and opened a door for me um, that I haven't been able to shut since they, they introduced me to this public recovery movement. And the people that were part of that movement really inspired me to... To want to tell their story of that uh, of this new public recovery movement because of the work that they were doing is so um, groundbreaking, I believe.
0: Mm-hmm. It really is. You know, uh, this is a good moment right now to talk a little bit about the principle of anonymity, and uh, some people may be very familiar with that; others may not. Um, I know that uh, in some of the the uh, emails and so forth since the movie that y'all have put out an, an email from Alcoholics Anonymous. Some people were asking questions of AA about the anonymity principle and um, tell us what they said that they did reiterate just their, what is appropriate. Yeah. And, and so tell us, would you share with us what AA said about it? Well,
2: yeah. The ra- first thing, yeah. Yeah. So the <clears throat> the 12th tradition of Alcoholics Anonymous is, is sort of the spiritual Piece around anonymity, but anonymity is kind of throughout all the traditions of of twelve step groups, and so Alcoholics Anonymous has a pamphlet called uh, on anonymity, and they talk about why anonymity is important, and you know so the spiritual component of ego deflation and just being part of the group and part of the membership um, is is certainly a huge piece of that. Um, Anonymity is also important from Alcoholics Anonymous perspective um, at the level of press, radio, and films because they don't want individuals to speak. It's a non-political um, organization that they don't want individuals to speak on behalf of public controversy or politics or anything like that as a face of, of Alcoholics Anonymous and and uh, as well as as there's a couple other sort of pieces of anonymity which is the safety for newcomers who go to meetings you know feeling that they can go to a safe place and not have to disclose who they are and and you know i i uh, certainly respect that greatly and and the need for having places that are safe in our communities for people to go who are just you know curious about recovery or they might have a lot of um personal shame and and they and not want to let anybody else know uh, or fear of discrimination and let let anybody know that they're they're a person with addiction and they're trying to get well and so there's a number of reasons why anonymity is very important um, however it it's been a little bit confused uh, throughout um, circles of recovery over time because you know we have over two hundred and fifty eight other fellowships now that have adopted the twelve steps and the twelve traditions, and what 's happened is um basically all of those groups have have adopted this principle of anonymity. So it's very pervasive uh, in terms of the culture of recovery that surrounds lots of pathways to recovery. There's many pathways to recovery, and some involve anonymity and some do not. But what AA said in that bulletin was that an individual is free to speak about their own recovery at the level of press, radio, and films, just like I am now. Uh, An individual is free to advocate on behalf of public policy, just as Bill Wilson and Marty Mann did in 1969, um, so long as they don't do it in sort of the name of Alcoholics Anonymous. uh, And it's just, you know, today I'm Greg Williams. I'm an American citizen, and I have some thoughts and ideas about how we should spend our tax money and some of the public policies that impact people with addiction, but I don't necessarily represent myself as any particular member of any group, when I do that, I'm just exercising my right in in this democracy as sort of in a citizen. And so navigating that uh, challenge is sort of the film, but also reiterated from Alcoholics Anonymous itself, is that individuals are free to do pretty much anything they want as a member of recovery, but not as as a member of any 12-step group.
0: Right, thank you, yeah, and this is that's been the stance that AA's always had. It's just to make that clear, this isn't like some new idea. They've always seen it that way. so right, yeah. and,
2: and, and, mm-hmm. fr- and and the general service office has, but members in the 12-step community um, often tell people who talk about their recovery publicly they're breaking their anonymity. And mm-hmm. so there's this cultural backlash within the recovery community that if I choose to speak publicly about my recovery, people say oh i'm breaking my anonymity when it actually it, it's not actually true and and that's not you know and that's not what the principles outline
0: that's right that's a good point you know when you're talking about this it brings up an interesting paradox for me it's like as as you said and and as it does say in the aa pamphlet which i can, you know i consider of course that's the the grandfather of all the the 12 uh, step programs um that obviously as you said that this uh, anonymity has a spiritual component within the fellowship um, to keep everybody, you know, equal. It's a fellowship of equals. And yet, um, the paradox of that, not an opposite, but the paradox is, is that as uh, people in long-term recovery that uh, do talk publicly about, again, their recovery, not about membership in a particular program or anything, there's a wonderful spiritual benefit to that. And uh, how how would you see that? I I think it's a wonderful spiritual benefit to be able to talk publicly about your recovery.
2: How do you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's one of the most you know powerful things about you know practicing these principles in all of our affairs and and you know it's all about motivation. I think and and it comes down to you know what somebody is speaking out for and and it's really I mean for an illness that has tremendous stigma, and discrimination, to speak publicly is ultimately, you know, a really powerful act of community uh, involvement, community engagement. Uh, most people do not um, garner fame or prestige. If they're regular people, you know, to go public with the recovery, certainly we've had bad examples of celebrities who who haven't always uh, been, you know, the best in the public light. But, you know the vast majority of people in recovery talk about their recovery not for personal gain but for social responsibility and And I think that's what I really learned when i I shot and and I interviewed all these people in this film. Most of them are not famous, and most of them you know they're really doing it for social responsibility um, and it's it's their recovery has given them such a gift in their life that they want other people to know that recovery is possible, and they want more people to be able to access recovery. And that really is, at at, at its foundation, uh, incredibly spiritual about sort of practicing all this affairs. And just from a personal standpoint, I mean, like I said, I didn't talk about my recovery for the first five years, and I felt like I was living two separate lives, sort of like active addiction, where, you know, it's the cops or my parents or the school or wherever setting, I, I would hide my addiction from, from those settings, and I had two different identities, and I get into recovery, and... I didn't talk about my recovery in all settings and I sort of still had two separate identities. And so for me, it's really been this unification of, 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 yep.
0: It's time for our break. We'll be right back. That's a great thought. We're going to finish that when we come back. Stay with us listeners on spirit of recovery.
1: like to take a moment to encourage you as part of our unity online radio family of listeners to support this ministry through a love offering for your convenience you can make one time or recurring monthly donations go to www.unity.fm and click on donate now thank you for your support
3: on the journey together, making sense of this life, finding our spirituality, growing and evolving. As we travel through this world, Unity Magazine is your resource for gaining a deeper understanding of life. Unity Magazine is on the forefront of spiritual discovery with articles and features from leading authors, teachers and philosophers. Stimulate your thinking and strengthen your spirituality with Unity Magazine. Sample a free trial issue or subscribe today at unitymagazine.org. Are you tired of life slamming the door in your face? Did you get another rejection letter, pink slip, foreclosure notice, or go on yet another bad date? Does it seem like the older you get, the more hopeless life seems? Are you ready to stop taking no as your final answer? Then join us for Design Your Life, a talk show by Kevin Cottrell Ross, the coach's coach. Go into the locker room for one full hour with the championship coach every week and start designing your winning playbook that will make the rest of your life the best of your life. That's Design Your Life with Kevin Cottrell Ross, the coach's coach, Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Central Time, on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
1: Thanks for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Anna Schaus and her guest. If you have a question or comment or experience with today's topic that you'd like to share... Call us now at 888-55-UNITY. That's 888-558-6489. Call now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unityonlineradio.org. Now back to the program.
0: Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. My name is Anna Schaus and I'm your host. And my uh, guest today is Greg Williams. Greg is the director and producer of the film The Anonymous People. This is a film about the over 23 million Americans who are living in long-term recovery from the disease of addiction and about the powerful, positive spiritual, social, and economic impact that has on families, communities, the workplace, and our society in general. Greg is a person who is in long-term recovery. Uh, he is a graduate. He has a master's degree uh, in public policy from New York University, and he is very engaged in the process of supporting communities and our society in developing public policies that really benefit the community and benefit individuals. Greg is sharing with us today uh about this wonderful film, The Anonymous People, and about his motivations for making it, and about all that he has learned through this process. Before I get back to my conversation with Greg, I invite you to share with me a brief moment of relaxation, a brief meditation called the Serenity Minute. I invite you to relax, to take a breath, and allow that breath to move through your body to allow you to feel that peaceful presence of your higher power as you relax and allow your mind to open and allow your body to relax. And share with me this constructive idea. I let the light of my higher power shine in me. I feel peace. And I see how my life also blesses other people. I let the light of my higher power shine in me, and I feel peace. I see how my life also blesses other people. And we take a moment in the quiet. Thank you, friends, for joining me in the Serenity Minute, and I trust that this was an opportunity for you to open and connect with your higher power. And so now I'm back to my conversation with my guest, Greg Williams, and we're talking about the power of the anonymous people. So, Greg, before the break, you were talking about – we were talking about the concept of anonymity, and you were telling us how – as a person in long-term recovery, that you didn't want to live a double life like you felt like you lived uh, when the disease of addiction was active. And so tell us some more about that uh, and how you navigated kind of getting out of this sense of, of not being able to talk about your recovery.
2: Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting thing for people in recovery to think about. For me, it was, you know, Oh, there's a lot of reasons and motivations and that's sort of what we investigate in the film is, is what are the reasons why people don't speak out publicly about the recovery but for me it was you know when I started to just say okay I'm 22 I'm a person in, in long-term recovery you know it's sort of um it made me whole I guess I mean it's like you know I'm 5'8 I have brown hair I live in Connecticut and I'm a person in recovery like it's it's just all of those things, and it's just one component of my life, and it's such an important component of my life that to hide that from people and and uh, not um, feel comfortable disclosing that I think really was uh, um, not sort of in my own... It was not disingenuous, but it just didn't feel good uh, when I would have to, you know, um, be on a job interview or talking to a college professor or, you know, and just not say, well, this is an important piece of my life and this is why I'm interested in this stuff. And um, the language, the faces and voices of recovery message training we cover in the film, but, you know, they taught me that language of, of being a person in long-term recovery and they have it for families. And and I think the language of recovery and person-centered language, um, Bill White's done a lot on this, and it's really changed and transformed how I feel about disclosing my status as a recovering person uh, versus saying, I'm Greg, I'm an addict. Uh, it just never felt good. And I didn't have the language until I was taught this language from Faces and Voices and, and it really changed everything for me.
0: What are some concrete examples, if you, if you wouldn't mind, or some concrete ways that it's made a difference for you, and how do people respond when you're just out in the world and, and that comes up and you, you tell them that?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I'll I tell you, I, when I used to say I'm an addict or I'm an alcoholic, you know, people would take a step back or they would look at me like, is he still drunk? Is, is he getting high? You know, and, uh-huh. and so today, you know, it's a, I'm a person in long-term recovery, uh, and, 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 and it's pretty clear to people that I haven't used alcohol or other drugs in a very long time and that I'm a person. I'm a person first, and, and I'm a person with this disease second. And, and I think that's sort of the difference. I, You know, I've spoken up at my legislative building in, in Connecticut. I've spoken in my college for, uh, class. I've spoken uh, in schools using this language. And it's just, it, and I spoke in schools before I had this language. And it's an entirely different experience for people because, you know, the bottom line is is when people... Uh, in the general public who aren't familiar with addiction or just have heard the messages of addiction for a very long time in our media and other places, um, the bottom line is that public opinion research shows that when we use the word addict or alcoholic um, or junkie or crackhead or any of the derogatory pieces of language that we have for for the disease of addiction to to label people, uh, we take away their humanity and we also... um, especially people in recovery it's not clear you know when i say i'm greg i'm an addict you know if people don't understand um that i'm in recovery or what recovery is they actually think i'm still getting high and and so that's what the general public reads in that sentence and so um you know it's important that we think about the language if we choose to disclose our recovery status publicly
0: right that's incredible because and I think it, there's such a sort of odd disconnect because I, you may be, have the statistics I don't have at my fingertip, but addiction is such a huge act of addiction, is such uh, there's so many people that are have that, they're affected by it or that their families are affected by it and so forth. But yet we live in this strange cultural divide. Where we can't talk about it or to talk about it it really makes everybody uncomfortable but then people that are in recovery can't talk about it and i'm like oh my there's such a giant elephant around in here
2: so yeah yeah yeah. i mean i I think anonymity has really turned into a double-edged sword in that respect in that cultural understanding and that's where i i just think we have to have i mean there's a lot of people that are very upset by my film and and that i would even question you know uh, a, a different interpretation of anonymity culturally and, and um, certainly, you know, not everybody agrees with, with the faces and voices perspective and all of that. But I think we have to really think about uh, the ramifications of silence. Silence is not, is not doing nothing. Silence is being silent. And what happens with silence is we get defined by that silence and, things happen in our communities and our world as a result of that silence and we perhaps as people in recovery or family members of people in recovery perhaps are the most credible important messengers to join the conversation of the number one public health issue in our country and and so if we don't they're still going to you know be addressing this number one public health issue but they might not be addressing it in, in the most productive constructive ways for our communities
0: Right. Well, what about family members? When you decided to start talking, to call yourself, and, and which you are, to identify yourself as a person in long-term recovery, how did your family members respond to that?
2: Yeah, well, I, I'll i never forget. It was a TV show that, you know, a, a treatment program actually asked me to go on. And, and um, I went to my father and I said, they want me and you to, because my father and my Mother are big parts of my recovery story, and they wanted a father and a son recovery story, and and so we had to do some some real um, consideration because he, you know, he's a professional in his life, and you know, didn't really talk about his son's recovery too much. His close circle knew about his son's addiction, but certainly, um, you know, it was uh, we had to do some soul searching, and, and we had to come to a conclusion that said, you know, hey. Are uh, any ramifications, whether it be discrimination or shame or, or feelings around that, you know, that does not weigh as heavy as the number of people who we could touch as a family by speaking out. And we knew that family members were losing children. We knew that family members were struggling every day with with um, this disease and not knowing that there is hope and that recovery is possible. And and we certainly knew how big of an epidemic it was. And so we just felt as a family that, that it was more important to speak than to not speak. And, and we thought that the pros of speaking out outweighed any any ramifications that we might feel in our lives.
0: Mm-hmm. Did you and get said, any response from, from doing that program?
2: Um, you know, it's funny. We actually never went on. They, they chose oh. a different family. But, but <laughs> I've done a lot of things since then. Um, And, uh, it was, um, yeah, I mean, I certainly, uh, uh, not negative though. It's really fascinating to me to see how many doors have been opened in my life, uh, including the the anonymous people in the film. I mean, since I chose to speak out publicly, my, my life has changed drastically. Um, but in, in incredible ways, in ways that I didn't ever expect it. And, um, it certainly, you know, has impacted my family too in positive ways where they become a resource and and a helping hand. And, you know, um, one of their longest friends just called me two days ago because, you know, their best friend, another friend had, had a a, a young man who was struggling, you know, in their family. And so you become this sort of, uh, lighthouse for people who are trying to navigate the sea of destruction from addiction and, and try to find hope for recovery. And, and certainly, um, by putting yourself out there, by putting ourselves out there, we we were able to um, reach a lot of people and help a lot of people and make ourselves available for that.
0: Right. You know, in the film, there were so many, so many moments and so many scenes in it that are incredible, but the ones that really stand out for me are the ones of the, I guess they were mostly at recovery rallies or whatever, where there'd be like this giant crowd of people in recovery, usually with some kind of... T-shirt on that's the same color, carrying a banner or or out, you know, having a celebration with balloons or whatever and and really identifying themselves as people in long-term recovery. What's the impact of that, that kind of celebration and that kind of public, here we are?
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't think we have to look very far uh, to to draw some really strong comparisons um, with, uh, you know, breast cancer, uh, the March of Dimes. You know the disability movement, um, the AIDS, uh, the AIDS movement. So, so this is not, uh, you know, demonstrating in the street is not new, and, and and you know, sort of identifying as as a supporter of recovery, an ally, a family member, a person in recovery, it, it, you know, that's new for addiction. It's very new. It's it's only about ten years old, um, but it, it's stuff that we've seen in other public health issues that has transformed our culture and our identification. I mean, I don't know, um, you know, if the listeners know, uh, you know, a lot about breast cancer, but in the 60s and 70s, women could not really disclose uh, their status as, as having breast cancer, and they, it was the big C, and everyone kept it quiet. And um, There was a lot of shame cultural... attached to it. Right, And and, and obviously today... We we look back and they're like, wow, there was a time in America where women were ashamed to have breast cancer because today we know a lot about breast cancer and it has nothing to do with, um, you know, that person being a bad person or anything like that. And so, you know, it's it's almost shocking today to talk about shame related to, to breast cancer. And and um and now it's you know we have NFL referees who throw pink flags through the month of October on on the football field. You know, so it's just amazing where we are culturally, and, and and you know, hopefully this is the beginning of a transformative uh, experience where, you know, uh, I mean, just to go back to the numbers that you mentioned before, so there's 23 million people who are in long-term recovery. There's also 23 million Americans who are suffering from addiction. Um, and the sad part about that second number is that 90% of people suffering from addiction don't get any kind of treatment whatsoever. Um, and so we have a 20 plus million gap in addiction treatment and the number one reason that group of people don't receive treatment is because they don't think they need it. Um, and so there just, isn't this cultural understanding that help is available and that addiction is, is, you know, is all around us. And, and so it's certainly, uh, an important thing because it's the same thing with, with breast cancer where, where most women used to never get, preventative exams and mammograms and, and all of those things, maybe not because they weren't available, but but also because they probably didn't think they needed it. But we've done intensive uh, public health communications and education, and now, you know, most women are able to access preventative exams for that.
0: Right. What's your vision of the future? If you could paint the picture for how you hope it looks in 20 years in terms of uh, addiction and and. Making progress, what would that picture look like?
2: Um, you know, just for nobody to be able to deny the reality of recovery. Um, you know, I think if we get there, I think everything would be different. I mean, you know, just that everybody really understands that people can and do recover from addiction and really believe it. Um, we're not going to get everybody, but if we can, you know, get John Shinolder says in this film, if we can get half the people, uh, you know, we'll be in a, in a much better place. And, and the other piece is, is really on the, on the sad note is, is, uh, this is our number one killer of young people under 30 right now. And uh, we are losing young people by the generation to, to prescription drug overdoses and heroin overdoses. And, and it is tearing apart communities and families and, you know, I hope that we stem the tide of this epidemic. I mean, 150,000 people are dying every year in this country. You know, um, I mean, comparable to any of our overseas wars or anything like that, and, and we just don't address it with the same sort of um, urgency that we need to w- with the way it's it's really impacting communities and families and taking an incredible toll.
0: Right. I. You know, I... Almost uh you know, on a regular basis there will be a parent or a grandparent that talks to me and you know, in the in the work that I do about their child or their grandchild that's died from uh a heroin overdose. Yeah. And that's just a sad. That's a hard one to deal with. So what do you in addition obviously to all that we've talked about, what do you think it's going to take? And we're uh we just have a minute here before our break, but in a brief word and then we'll be back and we can talk some more. But uh What's it going to take for us to wake up and to be more well, aware? Well, those
2: two, those two groups of people to, to raise their hand and say, I've been impacted. So the, the, the really powerful group of people, of, of family members of loss, I mean, I mm-hmm. think that's an incredibly powerful group, and then people in long-term recovery and their families. For those two groups of people to raise their hand and, and identify as that status and, and look past the shame, that would transform everything. Um, because we all know those people, sadly, uh, on the on the side of loss and, and happily on the side of recovery. And we wouldn't be able to deny that this is in every community. This is not a, a poverty issue. This is not a, a, a color issue. This is, this is just a human issue, and it's really something that we need to address.
0: Right. Thank you, Greg. Uh- my guest is Greg Williams. He's the director and the producer of the film The Anonymous People. We're talking about the power of the anonymous people and that long term recovery is a reality and how important it is to get that message out. We're going on break. We'll be right back. Stay with us on The Spirit of Recovery.
1: And more vibrant. Do you have a specific issue or topic you'd like to discuss with Coach Carla? Call in toll free Tuesdays at 3 p.m. during Vibrant Living Life Coaching with Carla. You know the saying, a good deed is its own reward? You're listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with your host, Reverend Anna Schaus, PhD. And now, here's Anna.
0: Welcome back to The Spirit of Recovery. I'm very glad that you're listening with us here today. My guest is Greg Williams. He's the director and producer of the film The Anonymous People, talking about how over 23 million Americans are living in long-term recovery, and it is possible. Uh, Greg has a master's in public policy from New York University. He's very engaged in um Advocating for uh, recovery and advocating for public policy that supports recovery. So, Greg, the film has been out since mid September and you've had over 20,000 people see it. Wow. So, how can Did people see it if they haven't? And how can they get involved if they well, want to?
2: Well, 30,000 now. But, wow. um, yeah, so we. We're actually in independent theatrical release right now, and so there we have this on-demand model where people can bring the film to their local movie theater. So if people Google the anonymous people or go to manyfacesonevoice.org or .com, it doesn't really matter, um, but they can find a listing of, of current showings that are on uh, the schedule, and then sort of if there isn't one in your community, you can request one for free, and basically, the way it works is, is during the week, the movie theaters are usually dark and we will take uh, a booking for uh, the, an independent film if you can show that enough people want to see it. So typically, whether it's 50 or 100 people, um, if you have a community of people in recovery or family members and, and want to see the film in your local cineplex, you can just crowdsource and bring it to your theater on, on a night of your choice. And so it's a really cool new way to to see films and see them collectively with your community. I mean, we, uh, certainly that's our number one priority. I mean, this film makes you want to talk. This film wants, you want to connect with other people. You want to have a dialogue. You want to get active and involved. And, and certainly, um, it's, it's certainly controversial. And so there's lots of things to want to talk about with people after the film. And, and so it's a great way to see it if, uh, together. Um, we're also uh, I think you saw at a community event, um, individual programs, treatment programs or schools or um, even jails and, and churches and, and all sorts of different kinds of organizations can license the film um, for their community uh, to show in non-traditional theatrical environments if you have venues, you know whether it's a church or, or, or another place. Um, you can license the film and show it for your uh, congregation or your school or your class, and that's all. All that information is right on voice dot org, and uh, click uh, screenings.
0: Right, and that's many faces and the number one, right? The number one voice. E- yeah, voice. You,
2: either way, it'll take. It. We kind of we kind of navigated it for people, but the, you can just Google the anonymous people, and, and you can find out more information on Facebook with us and. And, and, and Twitter too, and we also have a, a new video series that I hope people will sign up for on that website where um, if you sign up for the email, we're, we're releasing a new set of video vignettes, web vignettes of of people from all walks of life who are choosing to speak publicly about their recovery and why they chose to speak publicly about their recovery, and there's a whole bunch of tools and resources about getting involved in your community regarding recovery organizations or or finding a recovery organization or, or, you know, if you want to talk to a member of Congress or you want to just share your own story, um, there's tons of resources and, and definitely the best place to learn about the film and, and the new public recovery movement.
0: That's fantastic. And, you know, as you're talking about this, one thing that comes to mind is thinking that... Um, <clears throat> Part of this evolution uh, in in terms of being willing to be public with recovery may have to do with generation and uh, how you're so, obviously, y'all are so completely plugged in to all the media and just reaching out through every, you know, social media, all of that. What do you think about that? Um, is it part of this is, I mean, recovery's been around a while now, so, you know, uh, there's been a lot of, of that, the history of that and the buildup of that and so forth, and now... Um, as young adults, do you think that part of it is generational that you're willing to step out? Uh,
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think at a certain level, you, you probably see that in the younger generation—the willingness and the openness to speak. Um, I mean, we do cover some stuff in the film from 1976 uh, with Buzz Aldrin and Dick Van Dyke and Mercedes McCambridge, um, where there was this big public event where really famous people went public with their recovery in 1976. And so I, I do think that, that you know, we cover that in the film a little bit and look at the history, historical sort of peaks and valleys of, of the public recovery movement and why and and getting at some of the reasons and motivations for silence. And and so, I mean, I certainly think that the way that we've criminalized addiction heavily in the last uh, couple decades has really silenced a lot of people um certainly and and so and for good reason i mean there's a lot of discrimination that's going on uh related to uh addiction and recovery so i think people have to be really careful and it's also you know people in long term recovery have perhaps more ability to um claim their status as a person in recovery or they're well established in their life and and they can look at their career or or life and say you know I'm willing to hold up the flag. I'm willing to stand on the mantle for other people, and and today in my life I can do that. Whereas some new people in recovery, maybe they're trying to get a job or they're trying to go to school, and it's actually, you know, something that maybe they shouldn't do for for a period of time because they. I know, you know, my friend was trying to get into medical school, and he was brilliant, but because of his addiction, he had six years of recovery, but because of his addiction experience and disclosing that on his application, he was denied entry, for two years and, and so discrimination still happens um, and, and so we do have to realize that and, and so it's certainly a very individual choice and, and you have to think about it uh, personally.
0: Right, that makes sense because that's number one is, is a person's own uh, recovery and that that's solid and that that continues. That's number one and then from that how can I uh, be in the world, how, what's going to really work for me and, and be a help uh, for other people. So, tell us a little bit more about um the what kind of response have you gotten? you said you know the film have you gotten response you you got response from the people that' seen it have you gotten response from uh in public uh media or in the commercial media? have you gotten any responses from them
2: yeah we well um we haven't totally cracked sort of the mainstream media just yet um with the film, I mean, it's certainly a tough issue for them as as we we critique the media in the film a little bit and their coverage of this issue, um, so they don't uh, typically like that. But we, um, um, the majority of people, I mean, we've we've taken the film around the country and, and received standing ovations and and. You know, people will stand up in the audience after the film and announce, yeah, you know, say, I, you know, I'm Lisa, and I've never done this before, but but I'm a woman in long term recovery, and you know, I got into recovery over 25 years ago. You know, and it's like to see that happen, where in the process of watching a 90 minute film, that somebody with 25 years of recovery, all of a sudden, you know, feels inspired and and hopeful and obligated to stand up and and announce their recovery status and in a room full of, uh, you know, people, I mean, it's, it's really powerful. And I, and I know that friends of mine who've screened the film in other parts of the country, it's like, you know, they say, well, all their friends on Facebook now, you know, will, are, are talking about their recovery status when, before they saw the film, they never did. And, and so those sort of things really, um, are powerful and amazing to sit back and, and say, wow, I, you know, this really is impacting people's, lives in, in ways that we'll never be able to sort of measure or, or I'll never even get to, to meet most people or anything like that. But just to know that it's been a little uh, rock and the ripple of, of this new movement is, is pretty special.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it sure is. Before it uh, actually premiered, I think, in New York City on September 17th, y'all showed it to the U.S. Congress, right? You had a special event. Tell us about that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly, you know, it's a number, you know, it's a bipartisan issue. So I, it doesn't, you know, if if you're into politics, it, you know, it certainly uh, crosses both uh, fiscal conservatism and, and socially progressive, you know, thought. And, and as a result of that and, and the film, you know, had to be scrutinized by the rules committee in Congress, we had a Senator, Senator Whitehouse from Rhode Island who wanted to show it. And, to his colleagues and other members of Congress, and it had to be scrutinized by by the Rules Committee to be able to be shown, and that it was relevant and cult you know, the whole thing and educational, and and so it passed. And, and not too many films do pass this vetting process, uh, and and so that was a thrilling sort of moment. And in this uh, September, we we were able to show it inside, you know, the walls of Congress, and and certainly uh, was a powerful thing. I mean, it's 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 an issue that is on the foreground of, of our political leaders. And they realize that, you know, $350 billion a year and 150,000 lives and, and, um, the criminal justice piece and and the health piece and all of that. I mean, it's, it's It's a big issue, big issue, uh, for us, um, in our communities to find better answers. And many people in recovery have found better answers through spirituality and other things. And it's just, it's time for us to to tell that story to the world.
0: Absolutely, and uh, just briefly, uh, back when when was it? This is in the film as well. Bill Wilson, uh, the co founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, he testified before Congress many years ago. When was that?
2: 1969. I mean, most uh, most people in recovery don't know that um, mm-hmm. that there was a Senator Harold Hughes who who held the first ever hearings uh on alcoholism and, and other drugs in in the u.s congress in 1969 and, and he invited bill wilson to speak and he spoke alongside with uh marty mann who was the first woman in in alcoholics anonymous who started NCADD, uh, the national council of alcoholism and drug dependence as well as one of the most powerful speakers of the day and in, in, in the newspapers from that time period was mercedes mccambridge who was an academy award-winning actress uh who spoke very sort of dramatically about the benefits of long-term recovery and some of the foolishness of of trying to uh, put people in jail for a health problem. And and that was in
0: 1969. Well, so it's good. We're come, we've come um, now to a full circle place and to a new place, a, a new wave of, of recovery advocacy. Uh, Greg, I want to thank you so much, first of all, for making the film and for... Being my guest today on Spirit of Recovery, you've brought so much light and uh, just hope, and just uh, releasing the shame and the stigma, and knowing that absolutely recovery is real for people and for family members that are part of uh, this situation. Thanks so much for being with us today on Spirit of Recovery.
2: It was my pleasure. Thanks for doing the show and, and for all the work that you do. It's it's been a lot of fun.
0: Great. Stay with us, listeners. Uh, Next week, we'll be right back with the Spirit of Recovery.
1: Thank you for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time for down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington. Committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org.
3: Have you heard about Dr. Tom Shepard's new program on Unity Online Radio? Tom Shepard? Isn't he the Unity Magazine question and answer guy? Right. Well, they've actually turned him loose with a radio show. And I hear it's going to be pretty edgy. Edgy? Like what? Guest panelists and students from Unity Institute and Seminary. Topics like abortion, gay marriage, war and peace, environmental issues, Islamic fundamentalism, universal health care, religion and politics, current events.
1: Yeah, but they'll all be unity people, right?
3: Dr. Tom and his students will talk about the hard questions facing all people today. Sometimes joined by rabbis, priests, liberal and conservative ministers, Buddhist monks, Baha'is, Hindus. And he's going to interview them on the program? better he's going to introduce a controversial topic and let students and special guests go for it
1: this could get explosive does
3: he have guys in black shirts standing by to break up the fights (laughs) if i know dr tom he will keep it both friendly and spirited whoa i gotta hear this when and where the program is called let's talk about it and it's on every thursday at 9 a.m central time only on unity online radio so let's talk about it definitely let's Inspiration only takes a moment. Your friends at Unity invite you to reflect on these words from Reverend Jim Rosemurgy. Pause and take a deep breath. When you are ready, affirm silently to yourself. Sweet, sweet spirit, I desire a closer walk with you. Show me the way. I am listening.